Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I know you are here wanting to change and rewrite your story. You are desiring to step into the impact that you know you were here to create. I am here to guide you with the proven tools and strategies used by myself and our speakers to support you in taking radical responsibility in your life and learning how to own your choices to change your story. My name is Marsha Van Weinsberg. I am a storytelling business coach, master NLP trainer, speaker, podcaster, and seven times published author. My clients have found freedom and purpose from overcoming their shame stories and learning how to share them with the world. I am so grateful you are here. Let's get started. Welcome back to the show. Today, I get to share with you a person that I admire and I love what he is doing and creating in the world. And this is the power of social media. This is the power of our work living on for a very long time. I actually wrote my book in 2017 when she stopped asking why. And Chris connected with me probably two and a half, three years ago. And as he did, he's going to share all these things in the episode today, but it was really powerful because our story is connected and I love the work that he is doing in the world. So today we're speaking with executive director of Sober Kids BC, Chris Bungie. Chris is a lawyer for, was a lawyer for 20 years and throughout the very first half of his career and the first half of his life since the age of 12 Chris had a substance use disorder, mainly relating to alcohol use. He comes from a community and to some extent, a family with a history of addiction, which honestly, if you've listened to this show long enough, we all do. We all do in some way, shape or form. Chris sold his law practice three years ago, and he wanted to give back to the community. So with the help of his wife, they started a a charity known as Sober Kids BC. This is a nonprofit dedicated to educating families about youth substance abuse and providing tools, speakers, and courses to help parents who want to prevent their teens from using alcohol and drugs, but also to assist parents who have teens who are experiencing problems with alcohol and drugs. Chris shares a lot of stats in this episode, and I love it because it's very powerful for parents. And he talked about, you know, teen cannabis use in Canada, especially now that it's legalized and some very relevant stats about addiction, hospital visits, teen substance abuse, and how he can support families trapped in this cycle. And the other thing is that Sober Kids Canada is offering a Sober Kids BC, which is going to grow. I know it is is offering a lot of different educational resources through their website, including a night where I will be guest speaking on May 11th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you can register at the link in the show notes. This will always be a cause that is near and dear to my heart. And I know years ago when I was deep in the throes of looking for support, trying to find people talking about it and nobody was talking, I'm so grateful for what Chris and his wife are doing and what they're creating, because this is going to be an educational system to support so many families and something I wish was available years ago. So I know you're going to love this episode. It's a really powerful story to share. Welcome to the show today, Chris. I'm thrilled to have this conversation with you. Thanks. Yeah, I'm really glad to be here. So you and I connected. I was actually trying to remember about a year ago. Or longer? I think it was. I think it was a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago. A couple of years, okay. yeah. So, can you tell me what, how we cross paths? Can you share with everyone how we cross paths? Yes. So, about two and a half. I think it was even two and a half years ago. I was. Uh, my my wife and I had sort of put our minds to starting a a charity, uh, a charity that was focused on on youth and basically youth and drugs and alcohol. So, we wanted to just have a charity that focused on public awareness for. Uh, particularly with, with respect to cannabis and uh, cannabis and alcohol, because, you know, having having kids that were like, you know, we have like 10 year old twins at the time, they were probably like seven years old. Mm-hmm. We, we, we were looking online for resources about, you know, like education. How can we, you know, how can we sort of prevent stuff from happening to them that maybe happened to some people in our family, including myself? And uh, and we just we just didn't find a lot out there. 
Um, and so we sort of had the idea, well, you know, if we can't find this information readily, that means other people can't find it either. So uh, maybe we'll start a charity, you know, and we, we sort of had that mindset and looked into it. And so as, as part of that research, I was trying to find people uh, who had experiences with kids uh, who were using drugs or having problems with drugs. And uh, I just, you know, your name popped up in a CBC article from, I don't know, seven years ago or something like that, like, <laughs> like, like, like seven years ago. Okay. And so, uh, you know, I didn't have a lot of people to talk to, and, and you seemed like you were somebody who who knew what they were talking about, and uh, I had a, I had a look at your at your book, and I just I sent you an email and I reached out to you. I think I maybe even found you on Facebook. I'm not sure, but I I, I tried to find you and I sent you a, a message, and then uh, yeah, you got back to me right away, and and we've been sort of chatting about it ever since, and you've been a big help. So I you know we we really appreciate it. Oh, see, I, this is, there's so many things I love about this and I love how connection can just happen. I do remember now it was the CBC radio um, interview because I was like, I didn't even know that was out there. Like when we do stuff, it's out there, right? We forget that it's out there. So I love, I love that that connection is there. Your, the fact that you said, you know, if we can't find it, maybe we should create it. Yes. A lot of people think of doing things like this, but yes. you've actually done it. And so there's like, there's a difference in, you know, who you are, who you and your wife together are, because again, like a lot of people talk of doing things, but you've actually done it. And I know it's taken time to put it together, yes. but I just want to share, like, I want you to share a little bit about what is it about the two of you that decided that, you know, we're not just going to think about this. We're actually going to do it. Well, you know, uh, I think with both of our personal experiences uh, with these things, you know, like my, my wife doesn't have any addiction issues, but her she's had some some family some family uh, issues, and uh, and me and me personally, I have my own personal uh, struggles with uh, with uh, dr- drugs and alcohol, which thankfully I've been I've been sober for about thirteen years, so it's 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 largely in the past. Um, yeah, but but you know that's actually one of the things that kind of brought us together. Like I met my wife uh, solely after I was uh, shortly after after getting sober, and uh, and she'd had a, a brother who who had some pretty significant issues, and so it, it sort of brought us together. You know, she had a she had a tolerance and understanding of what I was going through, and uh, I needed somebody with a tolerance and understanding of uh, what I was going through, and so yeah, I mean, I think that's really the reason why we ended up. You know, it's always been very important to both of us. You know, like. Um, uh, you know, I, I've been volunteering, trying to help people out, even when I was working full time. And, um, you know, in the last few years, I, I don't have to work the same way as I used to uh, as a lawyer. So I have more time. And, yeah, we just both wanted to do something that would actually uh, make a difference. Right. You know, and and like I just we just weren't able to find anything. I mean, there are charity. I don't want to suggest there's nobody out there trying because there is there, there's a couple of great charities in Canada that are trying. But um you know, there's drugs free kids Canada and there's and families for addiction recovery. I mean, there are some people out there, but we just felt that there wasn't uh anything in BC for people really, like to um where a parent like us could say, you know what, I'm worried about my kids. What can I do? You know? Uh we just didn't see anything like that. So uh yeah, we're we're both sort of people of action, you know, <laughs> we're both sort of people of action and uh uh and 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 we like results. So I think that's probably what what led us down this this path. I love that. And I'm so grateful because I can tell you, you know, our journey probably started 10 years ago, maybe even 11 years ago now. And as I was looking for information, I guarantee you there was nothing, like absolutely nothing. The only stories I could find were of parents who were sharing a story of losing a child. Yes. I could not find much about when you were in the thick of it. And I remember that being, and that still is to this day, a big part that drives me to continue to talk about stories and share stories is because we're still, I think we're still scratching the iceberg yes. when it comes to sharing difficult stories. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And, um, you know, it almost seems like we're sharing when it's too late, right? Like we're sharing about these things like when it's when it's too late. And I can't imagine what you were going through. Like, you know, you're in the thick of it. And, you know, uh, and the only resources maybe you could see are like, the end results, right? Instead of like somebody sort of, a, you know, giving you some hope of being in the middle. And so, yeah. There wasn't uh, much hope. And I, it's, it's actually, you are bringing me back to a time there where I remember there was very little hope. And when we're not talking about stories like this, 
then when you're in it, you, you assume you're the only person in the world who is struggling. So that means that yes. you must be doing it all wrong. It must be something that you're doing wrong that's causing it. And the stories that that continued to feed just kept me further stuck. So we're going to talk a little bit more about your story too, but can you tell everybody since we're here, like the name of your foundation, um, of the name of the nonprofit and what's going to be involved or included with it? Sure. Yeah. So the name of the nonprofit is Sober Kids BC. Uh, eventually it's going to be Sober Kids Canada, but we thought we would start regional and start here in, in BC first, then, then sort of uh, branch out. Yeah. So, so what this is, this is really an, uh, an educational tool for parents and for children and probably mainly for parents. Um, just so that when somebody else goes online and punches in, you know, uh, my kids using marijuana or what can I do in BC? I need some help. There is uh, a readily available site where people can go and get some answers, right? About, uh, you know, about educating their own kids, about educating themselves, about uh, prevention, about getting help. We just don't feel like in BC right now that there's a there is a sort of central, easy to find thing for parents. So we're really trying to like structure the website around, you know, I'm an average parent. What questions do I have? What issues am I facing? And we really want to structure that. Uh, the whole the whole charity is going to be structured around that. You know, about like you know what what uh, what are the most common questions, common issues facing parents and teens when it comes to uh, cannabis and alcohol and and other drugs, of course, as well. And, and ju- just to be a resource for them. And when I say a resource, it's not just going to be providing information. Uh, the idea is that as, you know, as a nonprofit, we have, we're, we're, a, we're a charity with an educational purpose. So that means we, you know, we, we will have speakers. I know we're having, we'll talk about that later. We have, we have you and May coming up. Uh, we're going to have, you know, free speakers, uh, people with expertise and backgrounds and these things where parents can attend the online seminars and ask questions and learn. And then, uh, and of course, at, at least once a year right now, we're going to have an event where we're going to have like an actual, a couple of, in-person speakers or people in BC can show up and they can ask questions and they can meet, meet people uh, who've, um, who've had similar issues with kids or who are experts in, in, in dealing with kids and, and things like that. So, yeah. I love that. I love the educational component because I also think that um, some of the things that come up as questions is parents might be like, how do they, how do we know when it's a problem? I yes. get asked this question a lot. Yes. I just curious what your opinions are on this. How do you know when substance use in kids is a problem? So the answer to that question is if your kid is using substances, it's a problem, right? I'm <laughs> and, so and glad that, you did this. Yes. And it, it, it totally it is the answer, you know, because, um, and just to you know, kind of give some of my own story about growing up, like, yep. you know, uh, and again, this is no knock on my parents or anybody else or anything like that. But, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a community, uh, in a small community in Nova Scotia where like drinking was like a virtue. You know, drinking alcohol was like a virtue. And if, you know, if, if, if I got busted drinking or I got caught drinking, like it wasn't, you know, I remember the police picking me up and dropping me off and kind of laughing about it, you know. And, uh, and again, their intentions were good, but... I actually had a pretty significant problem, right? And uh, instead of being that being recognized as a problem or being directed to resources that could help me, it was just sort of laughed off as like, you know, this is just another one of the teenage kids who continually has problems with the alcohol. And, you know, they thought it was funny. So I thought it was funny, you know, and again, I'm mm-hmm. not, uh, I'm not, I'm not knocking anybody. I just, um, but, you know, just based on my own personal experience, like if you're, if your child's smoking weed, if your child is drinking alcohol, uh, it, it's an issue, you know, and, uh, and, and in our, from, from, from where we sit and the and the evidence, if you, a parent sees it any other way than that, uh, then they're really setting their kid up for failure. And I I love how direct you're being with this. You know, I I hundred percent love and respect that. And I think that if we're buying into that, it's all just a phase that all kids do it. It's normal. Yes. Then we're part of the problem. Yes, uh, I I actually agree with that. And again, I mean, we, I, I want to make clear that like it's. You know, uh, we can't offer anybody a solution where their kids are never going to, you know, are never going to have problems, right? Like, because, you know, as you know, uh, and a lot of other parents know, and my parents probably know, sometimes you can try your best and it just, you know, kids are going to do whatever, whatever kids are, are, are going to do. But there's a difference between that and what you said, which is, oh, they're going to do it anyway. So, you know, this is just experimenting and don't worry about it. Like, you know, the, the latter attitude, uh, if it's, you don't take it seriously, uh, is really going to cause a, a lot of problems. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. We come from my both my husband and I come from a small town. Like, it, I mean, drinking was normal. Like that was just like it was definitely yes. something normal that you saw. But I remember at one point, like my met so many other people say, you know, it's a stage. They're going to go through it. It's going to happen, etc. 
Um, and my husband's saying, okay, but like, even when we were younger, if we went out and we drank on the weekend, like I still got up in the morning, I still had a job. I still went to school. Yes. I came home. Like I was respectful. I did like, we didn't have any of that, like that, that we, so when people would throw advice, it would be like, yeah, that's great. But like, that's not what our life is like. That's not what it's like at all. They had stopped going to school. They weren't coming yes. home. There was like, so it, and the time from start to that actually wasn't that long. Like it really wasn't like a big, it wasn't like this long stretched out time. It was, that's the jump that we ended up making and it ended up affecting every aspect. Yes. So I just wanted to share that piece because I love that you said that because that, that is a big misconception right now is that it's just a stage phase. They're all going to go through it. It's all going to happen. But there's also a lot of research where we talk about, um, and I don't know the name of the genes, it doesn't matter, but how some of us are very predisposed to tendencies. And for some, you know, I like, I knew there were kids that were starting when our kids were, and it it just didn't phase them. They did try it and didn't care to have it again. Whereas that's, again, was not our experience with our kids. It was, they had it and it was just nonstop. Yeah. And, and you're right. Every, every, the issue is that every kid is different. Right. And it's mm. like, the, it's like, it's like roulette. You don't know what, what yeah. genes your kid is going to end up with. Like, even if the parents don't have issues, if the grandparents were, you know, if you have yeah. addiction genes in your family, then, you know, people need to understand that, that, you know, your kids have a 50% greater chance of becoming addicted to substances than somebody who is not. And even if the parents don't have issues, you know, I'll just give you, you know, just by way of example, like a lot of the friends I grew up with, uh, I grew up in more adverse economic circumstances than I did, like the guys I hung out with, you know, and, and maybe their parents weren't as responsible as my parents, but uh, we all drank together and they didn't drink like I did, you know? Um, in other words, they might've had on paper more reasons to drink than I did, you know, but yep. there was something about how it affected me and my body. And I just, you know, and it was, it was like, you know, a joke. Everyone knew I was that guy and I just couldn't stop. And I, I drank the black oath, like, you know, when I, like the majority of times I drank, you know, and where's my friends? Um, I don't even think if I think these guys, I think of these guys, you know, there's five or six of them. I don't think any of them even drink, maybe more, like, I don't even think they even drink alcohol, you know? Uh, and, uh, and I like, you know, spent 20 years drinking and almost ruining my life. So it's, you know, um, and I, and I, and I, I based that not as much on my parents, uh, but I base it largely on just the fact that, you know, whether I smoked cannabis, whether I drank alcohol, whether anything I took in my body, there was something about my body that just, it worked. <laughs> it worked and, and I and I became uh, dependent on it. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I was going to ask you if you wanted to dive a little bit in, because there's something that I find unique and different about your story is that you are very highly functioning. Like yes. you in a lot of ways. And I think that's a misconception that I think is important yeah. to share. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I guess, you know, and, and this was actually one of the reasons why I never had, a, I thought I never had a problem, right? Because I, mean, I, I grew up in an area where, you know, if you went to a friend's place on Saturday and his dad was passed out on the couch at two o'clock in the afternoon, it was sort of a joke. Like it wasn't like a big deal. Like it's, you know, it's just, it's just part of the culture. It's like, you know, rural Nova Scotia, her drinking is sort of like funny stories. It's kind of part of the culture, right? Yeah. So my sort of definition of an alcoholic was, you know, one of my family members who died of alcoholism, you know, it was sort of, well, I'm not dying of alcoholism. I'm still have a job. So I don't, I don't have any issues, mm-hmm. but you know, uh, alcohol and cannabis are one of those, are, are, are those, those kinds of substances where people can hide in this stuff, right? You know, it's, it's so socially acceptable, uh, to a lot of people, you can sort of hide in it, right? Especially in law. Like I drank really hard as a lawyer. Well, a lot of lawyers drank really hard. It was part of the whole thing. But, you know, what people didn't see was what was going on when I wasn't at work, right? You know, I, I was one of those guys I could drink every night or every second night and, you know, I'm going to work the next day, uh, go to four in the morning get up and, go to, and get up and go, go to work the next day. And, but, you know, uh, I didn't, you know, internally, it was causing me a lot of problems. It was causing my health problems. And, you know, relationally, I had, like, my social relationships were really terrible. You know, I, uh, so in other words, I had, I had that sort of, uh, social stamp of approval of, you know, I'm a lawyer and I'm doing well, but and every other aspect of my life was garbage, <laughs> you know? So uh, it, it's, it, you know, I, people think that, you know, when you're an addict, uh, you need to be living in the hard end of town and sleeping behind a dumpster. And that's just, that, 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 that isn't it, right? That isn't it. And, you know, you, you can be functioning uh, in a way that people don't know you're an addict and still be an addict, right? And uh, eventually I will say it catches up with everybody. It, it, it did catch up with me. 
but I had a good, you know, uh, a person, including myself, can have a good 20-year run of, you know, living in denial of addiction and sort of hiding their addiction and still being socially successful, right? I think that's, I think that's a lot of people's story. Oh, I, <laughs> you know, I'm like so proud of you for sharing the way that you are, because this is like a big reason why what you're doing is so important because it's, again, like you said, the, the stigma of the person sitting and sleeping behind the dumpster is what we think of addiction. And yep. that's not the case. The social stamp of approval. That's a really powerful one because I mean, I've had, had um, friends and I've also had, um, more often in the last couple of years, there's been more men who've reached out wanting to figure out how to share a story. But one in particular who said to me that um, what he really feels like the, I'm going to go here, the pandemic actually almost glamorized women drinking. He's like, my wife has been struggling with alcoholism and it almost like was this stamp that it's okay because it's the pandemic, you can drink. Until it hit a point, he goes like, she was literally drinking all day long, every day. And this is what my teen girls were seeing. And they were yes. confused. So he is now, now has custody, he, he, with his kids, but he's like, I really want to put a voice to this because there's a lot of men who are affected by women who do drink like this, or that this is, this is part of it. And I found that to be a really, really powerful conversation because again, these are conversations that we're not happy. We're not having but there's been this glamorizing for a long time of like, it's okay because you know what, when you've got your troubles, you're just going to go have your bottle of wine and, and you know, it's all good. And I'm not, I'm not being critical because I actually was in that space when we first were dealing with our kids, all of my friends were like, come and have, you know, a bottle of wine and we're just going to chat it out. And eventually I'm like, I, the irony of this is ridiculous of what I'm doing here. I am actually like drowning all of my headaches and stress with drinking at night when this is essentially what we're struggling with, with our kids. So that was just, I just want to share that piece. Cause I, I love how you're saying this is th like, there's a lot of people who by all standards, social standards would be considered successful, yes. but are still struggling and don't even see it as struggling. Yeah. No, I, and I, I really appreciate you pointing that out, especially in your own, your own personal example. And, you know, one thing I want to emphasize is that, you know, we're not arguing morality here, right? This isn't like a, uh, it's not like a moral issue. It's, it's, it's just a, it's a science-based uh, health issue, you know, is, is what we're saying. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the social acceptance around, around alcohol uh, and now I guess, frankly, around cannabis and sort of social acceptance about it without, without giving a full message of what this is actually doing to people who are doing it. Uh, you know, I think it's it makes it's really easy for, for people to live in addiction and uh, and be in denial of it, and, and also to not have other people see what they're actually going through, right? Like if it's if it's you know like just as an example, if it's okay where I grew up for adults to get hammered on Friday and Saturday, or maybe Monday, Friday, it's Monday, you know, Friday or whatever, you know, then it's really hard for the, the kids or other people around them to see like, oh, maybe mom has an issue, maybe dad has an issue, maybe my brother has an issue when everyone's laughing at it and thinking it's okay. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're hoping to be sort of a source of information to sort of, you know, kick back against, against that a little bit. Yeah. I love, I love that. And I love how we're having this conversation. What, what was the turning point for you where you went, okay, wait, this actually is a problem. And I think I need to do something with it. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, the, the, the turning point for me was, I think I was 34 and, you know, I had, I had what I had just a bunch of kind of, quote unquote friends who I kind of partied with, you know, and uh, uh, I was having, you know, I made pretty good money. So I was, I was always having parties at my house, having people over and I was giving out free beer and I was like, you know, and it was the sort of life I was living. And I remember I was at this, it was my birthday party when I think when I was 34. And uh, I sort of looked around and realized like, I, I don't really have anything here. You know, I can remember feeling like I'm really depressed. I hate being here. Uh, I, I don't know a lot of these people. And, uh, I remember one guy came up to me who had, I, I was a single guy for a long time and he came up to me and he said, you know, he had had kids and he was, he had kids and he was out for the night and some of his friend invited this party and he was telling me, man, your life is so great, whatever. And I actually told the guy, you know, I, I'm actually, I actually hate my life. You know, like, <laughs> I actually hate this. I'm really unhappy, you know? And, uh, I guess I sort of opened him out, but I, I just, I, I remember having that conversation with this guy that, you know, this, this isn't as great as it, as it seems like, you know, I, I would. You know, it sounds like you have a great life kind of thing. 
And I think that was probably the biggest turning point for me, you know, just, um, and, you know, I, of course, the next morning I didn't wake up and everything was fine. It took about six or seven months and uh, a couple of different friends having some pretty serious conversations with me. Uh, one, one of whom was, had been sober for 20 years and just had a really kind of frank conversation with me. And yeah, I just, you know, I, it gave me a chance to look at my life for six months. Um, and then eventually I got some help. Good for you. Good for you. That's, and I, and I appreciate you sharing it that way because it's not, we all know change is not just like one, one decision. And then the next day we're good. It's like a process. And so you, you volunteer and you have been volunteering in a lot of different ways, right? Is this something that you'll do? Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I'm a member of a 12-step program, right? And uh, I could say it's AA because that, that's what it is, you know? And so yep. I, I, I'm always reaching out to new guys. And I've had, you know, new guys coming to me. I'll be their sponsor or I'll, I'll you know, just have coffee with them and try try and uh, give them some feedback about, you know, how they can stay sober. Um, I've done some volunteering with the uh, Lawyers Assistance Program uh, here, which is a uh, which is an organization here at BC that, that has done a lot of great f- things for me. And it's a really great resource for lawyers who are struggling with uh, with addiction issues. So I, I've talked to other younger lawyers through there and tried to you know give give them some guidance. And um, yeah, and now I'm I'm currently volunteering with uh, Last Door Recovery in New Westminster in uh, in their youth program. So we haven't got totally going on that yet, but I'm, I'm we're also doing that. Oh, good for you. So this is a like the Last Door Recovery is a specific for youth. Yes. Yes, yeah. I, it's 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 a it's a it's a great uh, it's not a, it's a nonprofit, but it's also private. Um, yeah, they actually have a really great uh, youth program, uh, and um, yeah, we're just getting going on that. So I've been, you know, we've been donating financially to them for a little while, and, I, and, I'm, and they've been they've been a really great help in us getting our own charity going. And yeah. so now I'm now I'm hoping to I, I've cleared the process there, so I'll be actually volunteering in person there within the next. Uh, within, I, you know, I've met all the kids, which is really awesome, like really really great kids. And so so they're going to give me an opportunity to. Uh, I figure you know since I'm doing this charity, and uh, I, I actually want to learn more about actually one on one volunteering with kids who are are struggling uh, with these issues. So I'm hoping they're going to give me the opportunity to do that. Oh, I love that. I love that because. When we were in the, also in the thick of it, there was not a lot of pe- people would say, well, why don't you make your kids get counseling? Well, that's not how it works. Like in Canada, I can't, I can't make them. I couldn't make them go over the age of 12. So the, the only option we had was to get better ourselves with how to handle because there was nothing we could do there. But there also, for some of the things that were available, you know, I remember my kids even trying a couple of times and saying, it doesn't even make sense. I don't connect with them. I'm like, I get why they're not relating. Like they... They could have benefited from somebody like yourself who's actually walked in those shoes and can have a conversation in a non-judgmental way with them that I think would be really powerful. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, you know, there's no one size fits all, right? You know, uh, a solution. And uh, and we're not, as part of our charity, we're not, we're not doing that. We're not saying there's like one size fits all solution. But, you know, uh, we do want to be a resource for families where we can say, okay, you know, if you're we're going to be a resource just for education, but also if they need more intensive help, we have right now for BC, we have a whole list of like everywhere in BC that has, that has treatment, you know, like, like, you know, by community. Now you can search on our website, like by community and say, if you live in Abbotsford, here's where the treatment for youth is. If you, if you live in Vancouver, here's where the treatment for youth is. And, you know, some of these are, are nonprofits and some of them are private funding, but the idea is just to have a list where people can actually go and get professional services. If, if they need them, if they can afford them, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that. I love that connection and how that's coming together. Um, so can I ask, and I don't even know, I'm not expecting an answer here. I'm just curious on your thoughts or feedback because I had a lot of people ask me about this. Do you think this problem is better, worse, or the same now that cannabis is legal in Canada? Worse. I think it's, uh, I think, you know, I can say unequivocally it's worse, you know, and, um, you know, if you look back in history, okay, um, the new data shows that 40% of all emergency room visits by youth are cannabis related. 40%? 40% of all emergency room visits in Canada by youth are related to cannabis use. Yeah. Again, we're not moralizing, right? This isn't moralizing, right? This is just this is just the actual data that's out there, right? Like the actual data. Yeah. Um, since legalization, the age of consumption is shrinking, right? You know, so, so now we're used to be higher. Now the average age of first consumption is 12 or 13 years old. Yeah. yeah. 
And, and again, I, I don't, we're not against legalization. We're not taking any position against legalization. No. Like our sort of, the only reason why we're talking about legalization is because, you know, um, it seems like legalization has happened without a, without a strategy of how this is going to impact youth. Right. You know, it, it seems to us, it seems to me, this common sense is that, okay, you know, you have legalization, which may or may not have had to happen, you know, is they wanted to remove from, from the hands of organized crime. Adults maybe should be able to use marijuana. It, it isn't for me to judge. Right. But um, I think what is clear is that, you know, marijuana has been legalized and uh, there doesn't seem to be a co coherent messaging from the government at the same time as to how this is going to impact youth um, or the harms that are actually associated with it. I'll give you an example. Okay. So if you compare really the 80s and 90s, the big drive against, you know, tobacco and youth, tobacco and youth, right? I mean, it was seat or even seatbelts, seatbelts, okay, like seatbelts or tobacco and youth, okay? It seeped into our consciousness. We were constantly bombarded by ads and by information from yep. um, Health Canada and from organizations talking about, you know, dangers of smoking in teens, teens, dangers, smoking. And so now it's like, look, it's a foregone conclusion. Like, you know, if you've seen a kid smoking right now, you'd be horrified. Yep. Whereas like when I was a kid, I remember smoking on an airplane when I was 14, which is a whole different story, you know, but, but, but it's changed. Right. And, and as good as changed because we have the information. Yeah. Uh, but if you look at the actual harms, you know, arguably marijuana or cannabis is worse for teens than cigarettes. Okay. It's arguably. Okay. So, um, but you know, the question is, have you seen any ads on TV by the government? Have you seen any, any, have you seen the ads on TV? Have you seen any signs on pot shops? Have you seen any bus ads discussing these things? Like zero, I think, or, or if not zero, I mean, the only ads I've seen are the ones that are privately paid for by uh, Drug Free Kids Canada, which is a charity based in Ontario. So, you know, I just sort of based on common sense alone, I, I think what we have is a big gap, you know, just, just like a big gap sort of on, you know, um, a big gap, whereas like we are changing the conversation about drug use, which is good, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're seeing decriminalization in some ways, or you see, you don't want to stigmatize addicts. These things are all great. Yep. But hand in hand, it seems like the discussion uh, about kids and the harms of drugs is sort of gone. At least, I mean, people are having the discussion, but it's it, it, it doesn't seem like it should be as, it's not as large and advertised as it should be from our perspective. Oh, you are just dropping so many like strong, strong gold nuggets that I think are really powerful. And I love that you went here because I mean, I don't know how many people said to me, you must be so furious that they're legalizing it. And I'm like, okay, first off, I think my kids probably would have found their way to do it anyways. Of course. Can we just, for, they weren't going to the store and buying it. So it was, we knew that. Um, but secondly, um, if I knew that the money that was being generated could actually go back and support families in some way, shape or form, different story, right? That's a different story, but that's, yes. we all know that's not the truth. We all know that's yes. not what's happening. Yes. And that to me made it really challenging because we are normalizing in a sense, yes. but any research that I have done and, and, and I, I'm sure there's issues with like boys, girls, et cetera. But when you talk about boys whose brains don't develop, until 25, 26 years old. One of the things that really hit me was that when they start substance abuse, it's almost as if they continue to have the brain age of when they start using, unless they stop using. And so I started to look at this because when we were really, really struggling at times, you know, I had like a 16 year old and a 17 year old, they're grown men, but I'm dealing with kids. And I remember a counselor saying it's technically their brain is trapped yes. in the space of when they started using. I'm really glad that you brought that up because that, that, that's actually uh, one of our, one of the biggest things that we try and say on the website about uh, the use of these things, you know, and uh, one of the reasons it's, it's one of the reasons why, again, I'm not a scientist. Okay. I'm just quoting research here. Right. But mm -hmm. um, it, it's one of the reasons why, uh, why marijuana is so much more harmful for teens uh, or any drug, marijuana, alcohol, any drug is more, so much more harmful for teens than it is for an adult with like a fully formed brain, you know, yeah. um, because you have a kid who, you know, as a, as a kid, you have to go through the normal, the normal stress of life. Uh, and you develop, you know, uh, you know, your emotional functions, how you respond to the world, your stress responses, you know, your dopamine, your serotonin, these feel good things are managed by the normal kind of normal things that you do healthy to kind of handle stress. Okay. Yes. And so, uh, but when you're a kid, if you start using 
drugs, marijuana, alcohol, anything else, especially marijuana, you know, cannabis works really well on emotions, right? It really sends a message to your brain that like, oh, I'm anxious, I'm stressed, I don't fit in. All of a sudden, poof, wait a minute, I feel better, right? Okay. Yeah. So what that happens is the dopamine serotonin goes above the levels where it is supposed to be. And then once it wears off, it drops down to below, self-regulates the brain to where it's supposed to be. And then the message the teen brain says is, oh, uh, I'm anxious again. I feel low. I'm going to use more of this, right? You know? And so, and then you, you just start that cycle, right? You know? And, um, and then, of course, what happens is 10, 10 years later, after like regular, regular weed use, you're right. You have somebody who's 21 years old or whatever with the with with the brain of a 13 year old in terms of emotional development. And I don't just say this based on research. I say this based on my own personal life. You know, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, when I stopped drinking at, at 35, uh, even though, like I said, professionally, I was uh, I was sort of a well, what a lot of people will consider to be a success. I can remember hanging out with people in social situations and just being like terrified. Right. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to move. I didn't know how to function. And that's not fun when <laughs> you're 35 years old and you're suddenly realizing socially that you're, you're fairly inept, you know, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a real challenge. So it, it is true. Like, you know, based on my own personal experience and based on, and based on the actual research, uh, you know, uh, cannabis drugs, they slow the stunt, the emotional development of, uh, of the, of the user spend, especially when they start using it at, at, at a younger age. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm, I'm so glad we went here and thank you for sharing the way that you did, because, um, that's the piece, like it actually ends up for some becoming their mood regulator, right? Like it's like, it's the, they use it to feel this like certain feel. And then all of a sudden the anxiety kicks in. It's like, wait, I need to feel better again. And it starts to take that form. Um, wow. There's just, there's just so many things there. So as a parent, what would you recommend if they're in this space going, I think, like, I think there's a problem Yes. and, and, and it's, it can be hard because you might be the person who feels that there's a problem. We've already discussed this, but everyone else around you might be thinking you're just overreacting. It's just, it's just, oh, because I actually know, I do know sadly firsthand, a number of parents that thought this is awesome. It's legalized. It's just better if they do it at home as opposed yes. to go out on the street. I had parents criticizing me for not letting them do it here. It's safer in the home. And it was just blowing my mind that these were the kinds of conversations. So you've got a parent who's listening and they're like, okay, where do I start and what do I do? Well, you know, the first thing I would say is accept it's not normal, right? You know, like if if this is something going on, ignore the voices that say it's 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 normal because it's not normal. Okay. Or at least it shouldn't be normal. All right. Um, yeah. when I say normal, again, it's not moral, just recognize this is really unhealthy. Right. And, and it is, and it potentially really dangerous, you know, is the first thing I, I would say. And the second thing I would say is, you know, arm yourself with knowledge, you know, um, if you're just going to, I guess, you know, the research we look at is if you're just going to rant at your kid and saying, you know, you're a stoner, that is, that's not going to work. Okay. Uh, okay. But if you, you know, if you want to have, uh, if you want to have a conversation based on knowledge, then, you know, arm yourself with the knowledge, you know, what, what is the truth about cannabis? What is the truth about alcohol? And there are lots of resources for that. And our website is a great, a great resource for it. So mm-hmm. just have the facts of, you know, what, you know, what are the actual harms? You know, what is the science saying? Right. That way you can have it at least at least start from a place of objectivity uh, to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I would say know who your kids are hanging out with is a second thing that is another thing that we've looked at uh, that keeps popping up, popping up again, again in, in the literature is that, you know, if, um, you know, if there is a chance that if your kids smoke weed, that maybe your kids try to fit in with a group of kids that are smoking weed. Right. Um, that that's a very, very common, the most common reason why kids start doing it is because their social group starts doing it. Right. So uh it can be difficult. I mean, they might have a friend since they're nine years old and then they both go down different paths. And but you know, um, sort of who they start becoming when they're 13 and 14 and their patterns uh are kind of who they're gonna be for the next 10 years, you know, as you know, or any any sort of parent knows. So uh mm-hmm. know the friends, uh talk to your friends, talk to the friends' parents, ask if they see anything set an example, you know, and, uh, again, I don't want to sound like a, 
don't want to sell Gucci. I don't want to sell Gucci, you know, but yep. uh, I'll set an example. Like, you, you, you know, parents don't give themselves enough credit. Like, they're still going to be the biggest influence in their kids' lives. Like, the kids, even if they don't pretend they don't like you, like, you know, the, your parents are still the biggest influence in, in the kid's life, you know? So, uh, set an example. You know, if, if, um, if you're having a glass of wine with dinner, it's probably not going to cause any problems, you know? Uh, if, uh, you know, your kid regularly sees you and your friends drinking four or five bottles of wine a weekend, then, then you know, regardless, you can't really deliver the message like what you're doing is wrong. If you're doing it, the kid won't, won't take you as seriously, you know? Yeah. You know, and if you have a child who's already in it, I mean, who's already in it, then, you know, really, if they're in it, and anybody who can try and deal with that, I can tell you this. Um, if you're a parent and your kid is in it and they're addicted and you think that you can just reach in there and fix it, you, you, it's probably not going to happen, right? You know, um, and it doesn't mean that you did anything wrong. It doesn't mean it's your fault. It doesn't mean anything like that. Just, you know, from, a, from an objective standpoint, the, the, your, your child needs intervention and help, you know, professional intervention and help. If they're at that point where they're using, whether it's pot, whether it's whatever other drug, meth, or whatever they're using, alcohol, on a regular basis, and uh, and you know that they're doing it on an ongoing basis, and they're addicted, um, you know they're they're going to need professional help. And then at that point, you've got to talk to, yeah, you know they're going to need the help of professionals, right? Which you know talk to the school counselor, uh, try and get them into a recovery program. Uh, just you use whatever tools you have at your disposal to try and get them uh, the help they need, um, because again. I'm not suggesting we know we have all the answers here, but as as a lot of parents would know, we've had children who are addicted. Um, sometimes there's not a lot other that you can do personally, right? Like you just, you know, we're not, you know, your parents, you're not God, right? Like we're parents, we're not gods, you know? And, uh, um, you know, it, it takes some trained professionals or indoor 12-step programs to, you know, to kind of get kids back on track, you know? Every single step you shared, like honestly, so, so valuable and so good. And it really is like, I, it's just hitting me because it's bringing me back to so many times. And people would say to me, what would you have done differently now? Like looking back, what would you have done differently? Um, I would have fought the system and had them fail sooner. I, I would have a hundred percent fought the system and had them fail sooner. I really would have. Um, there hit a point where it was like, no, this is, this is the consequence. This is what's happening. And much like as you're sharing from when you were younger in our time, like the school didn't have a problem with what was happening. The police didn't have a problem. Like nobody had a problem. Mom and dad had a problem, which meant that, you know, they pretty much knew they could get away with almost everything. And so it really, when I look back at that, like it, the only thing we could do was educate ourselves to be able to speak and know what to do or how to, how to handle this. And this, that consistent piece. So there's just, yeah, there's a lot of things that are hitting there when I think of it. And, you know, there comes a point where it it, it wasn't ours to fix or manage or control anymore. Yes. And they had to experience firsthand some of the consequences of the choices that they were making. And to be able to do that as a parent, it's super important to be able to do that without shaming them. I did that wrong. I'm going to own that for a second. In the beginning, like I was very angry. I did a lot of, I called names. I'm not proud of that stuff. I didn't know how to handle it. And it's really, it's really important, right? That we don't need to label and shame with a label because that's not fixing anything either. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. I mean, like, you know, the sort of fastest way to get someone to ignore you is to attack them, right? (laughs) You know, whether it's an, an addict or an addict or anybody else, you know, and that's so uh, true. That's so true. Yeah. It, which, you know, and which it's actually nice that there is a it's it's really nice that the dynamic around talking about addiction is changing to be a health issue. Right. We really it's really great, you know, um, yeah. and uh, it's great. Like in here in B.C., we see these bus ads up talking about, you know, people with addiction. I'm, I'm not my addiction. Like I have a disease. And, oh, well, I haven't seen those here. Yeah, well, you have these in BC and, and it's fantastic. We have that. Okay. As long as we also have the conversation that drugs are harmful, <laughs> you know, that, that like drugs are harmful and that you don't have to do them, you know, especially teens, like, you know, like, again, we're not, we're not focusing on adults, but like, as yeah. long as we also have that with, along with the conversation of, you know, the, the other health, the full conversation, right. About like, yeah. you know, yes, it's a, it's a health issue, but also here's a way you can prevent it if you're a teen and, and here are the actual physical harms, you know, and again, we just, we think that's missing. 
Yeah. You're just taking me back through so many different years and different dynamics that like, I remember the seatbelt when it was brought in. I remember all the education on smoking when it was brought in yes. and it became a point actually in, in drinking and driving. I'm going to, I'm going to say for yes, 100%. for yes. mine, I remember being a teenager. We were at a family wedding and I refused to get in the car. Like, and I was like being like screamed at to get him like, nope, not getting in the car. Someone's going to drive us home. It's not going to happen. And so we were a really a generation where we started to talk about things that people didn't want to talk about. And we started to normalize that. Yeah. Well, if you're going to have a few drinks, you arrange a drive, you don't take your car. And I even see that with my, my older son in his car. Like if he's going anywhere, he just, he Ubers, he doesn't even, he's like, don't even think about driving. Like it doesn't even cross, doesn't even cross his mind to even think about driving. That's the normal thing that I think is important when it comes to having these kinds of conversations. Yeah, it's an interesting point you make. I can remember my parents, I, I made them wear seatbelts. When I was like 11 or 12 years yep. old, I was like, you know, like, we're not wearing seatbelts. And they and they were upset. Or they said, yeah, actually, you're right. We're not wearing seatbelts. And I sort of would remind them to put their seatbelt on. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know, like, like 11 years old, because I see it on TV all the time. It was it's, working. It was working. It was Thank working, you. right? It was it was sort of all the time. Like, you have to wear a seatbelt, you know? And and of course, me or my kids wouldn't dream of getting in a vehicle without, without, without putting on a seatbelt, you know? Yeah. No. Wouldn't even think about it. Yeah, there's so much. Like, I, I just, I really appreciate what you're both doing because I think this is a, such a powerful start of the conversations that need to be had. So, your nonprofit is up and running right now. Yes, yes, sober, uh, soberkids.ca. So it's it's up and running. So anybody wants to check it out, it's there for free, and and we have uh, an event with you coming up. I was gonna say, what's the- let's look. You and I should both know this date. We should know this date. <laughs> You're only laughing because I, I have an idea what it is, but I don't want to say it out loud. I'm going to bring it up for you right now, okay? You know it's May? Yeah, so it's uh, Thursday, May the 11th, and it's uh, it will be 9 p.m. Eastern time, 6 p.m. Pacific time. Yep. And uh, it's a Zoom event, and anybody can yeah anybody can register for that. It's totally free. And uh, uh, Marcia will be uh, sharing her story, uh, her story of, of struggling with her kids when they were go- going through addiction. And uh, she'll be taking some questions and, you know, we just, we just really appreciate it so much, Marcia, just so much. And you've been so helpful in helping us get this whole thing up and running. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's really meant a lot to me to be able to talk to somebody with lived experience, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, um, and get your feedback. Oh, I, I've been grateful for our connection since it started. And it's always a reminder for me, like people will ask me, like, why do you think it's so important to keep sharing your story and do things? I'm like, do you know how many incredible people I've been able to cross paths with since doing it? Like, I can't even imagine, like, like I can't imagine because I think it's, it's such a powerful thing. And when we do that, we step into that, we make the connections that we're meant to make. And I love everything that you guys are doing. And I think it's, I wish those tools and resources had been available. They just weren't when, when I was, when we were in the middle of it. And so I just think it's so important to at least start with education and having some of these difficult conversations. Yeah, no, I, I, I really appreciate it. And, you know, I, and I've, uh, uh, I have to say like, you know, we, we started with this idea of having a charity, but keep in mind that other than personal experience, I had no knowledge of, you really have any, any knowledge of these things, you know? So, uh, it's been a great learning process. You know, it's been a really, really great learning process and it, it looks much different than I thought it was going to look into And I've learned, I've learned so much and I, and, and we're continuing to learn, you know, so much and, uh, and we want feedback. So if anybody hears this podcast and, and looks at the website and says, we think you're right or you're wrong, this is a learning process for us. And we're, we're happy to take feedback and, and, uh, hear what's working and, and what, and what's not working. And we always want to have that, have that mindset, uh, going forward. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll definitely make sure that everything everything in the show notes is there. It will be released well before the event. And if you are listening to this episode and you know that someone else can benefit from it, please share it because it will help us to continue to share this message of um, what we're doing. And like I said, even just the call that night that we're doing on May 11th, like I would have loved to have been able to plug into a call like that. Like I would have loved the opportunity to be able to listen and connect. So I, I want it to sh- be shared and land into the hands of people who can use the support. Yeah. And, and, you know, we don't want anyone to be like discouraged by the fact that Silver Kids BC, like it's, it's obviously open to anybody, anywhere, like U.S., right. Canada, anywhere. And eventually, you know, we hope to be national, you know, and, and we want to help as many people as we can. So even if you're not, in BC and you want some help and you want some questions, like, please, please forward them to us. You know, we're happy to help you in any way we can. 
Mm, beautiful. That's such a great point. Thank you for sharing that. So I'll make sure everything is in the show notes. Is there anything else that I did not cover that you want to cover regarding your organization or anything else that we can share? Yeah. The, the only thing I really want to emphasize, okay, the last thing I would emphasize is that um, we really want parents to understand that you know addiction starts in the teen years, almost 95% of the time, right? So you, if you know anybody, love anybody who's an adult who's struggling with substance use, um, there's a 95% chance they started that as a teenager, you know? And and it, and it usually starts with alcohol and cannabis. You know, it all, it all starts somewhere, right? So, um, you know, I, I just want parents, any parents listening to this to understand that, like, you know, there's um, there's a lot of there's a lot of at stake here, right? Um, if, if, you, if your kids are using substances and they're experimenting, um, you know, you should hit the panic button. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to yell at them, but you should hit the panic button and you should be uh, reading about this stuff and, and, and doing every, everything you can to sort of, uh, you know, send, send the right message. You know, your the reality is that, you know, it's, it's important for us to be saving lives of people who are already addicted and on the street, right? It's equally important for us to be saving lives by stopping that from happening in the first place, right? By, by you know, make, making sure that kids who are at risk and just any kid is sort of uh, getting the, the help they need early on when all these problems start. I don't have a mic that I can drop, but that's what I would be doing right now. <laughs> it just that was really powerful. Like it, it is important that we talk about you know addiction on the streets and things that are there, but to know that ninety five percent of addiction starts in the teen years, we need to be having these conversations. We think so. I think so too. I think so too. Honestly, thank you so much for everything that you've shared. I have one more question for you. It sure. is what lesson in life are you most grateful for? Uh, humility. Mm. Yeah. You know, humility. I, I was a guy I had it financially, I had everything, you know, when I was like 35 and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't tie my own shoes, <laughs> you know, in terms of like anything, uh, outside of, uh, of making money. So just, I think humility, I think is, uh, is the most important lesson I'm mm-hmm. yep. Thank you so much for sharing that. And honestly, it's your humility and your openness with your story that is going to continue to spread your mission and your message even further. Honestly, it really is. Anything I can do to help. Yeah. Honestly, thank you so much. I will make sure everything is in the show notes. And so if you want to register for the talk, please pass this on to anyone because um, as Chris said, like you don't have to be in BC to join this talk. You can tune in from anywhere. Yes. And the same goes for any of our events. I mean, we're going to have stuff coming up in the future. Most of it's going to be online, you know, check back and anyone of anywhere is welcome to, you know, the idea here is to have free public education, right? So we we plan on having some courses down the line and having more speakers online. And, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be, the majority of the stuff's going to be free. So, you know, it's, uh, that's the whole reason why we have the charity, right? It's a charity. So it's free, free mm-hmm. public education. So, you know, any help you need, we're, we'll do our best. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of own your choices Own your life. If you love this episode, I invite you to tag me on social media with your takeaways or share it with a friend. Please, if you feel called, take 30 seconds to leave a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. Until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.